Thank you for checking out today's episode of the FizzCast. He's Tim Leonard. I'm Tyler Aki. Tim, we've got a lot of thoughts to get to. We are finally back for the special March Madness edition. I'm jacked up and ready to go. Yeah. I know we're going to have some debate today. Too, we've, so I'm excited. we've been on a little bit of a hiatus, as yes. Coach K likes to say. Life happens. <laughs> it happens. Uh, so we've been off for a little bit, but now we're ready to get back in the swing of things right in time for March Madness. Going to be a fun show today. Lots to get to. Syracuse-Baylor, the 8-9 matchup, and we'll also kind of look at the whole West region and, and the bracket as a bunch, but I think there's going to be a, a really fun March. Even if it may be a little top-heavy this year, it's going to be a fun one. It's always a fun March. I can't wait for March Madness, and obviously there's reason to believe Syracuse could go on a run, but there's also reason to be a little bit skeptical of the Bears, so this should be a fun one. All right, FizzCast, let's go. Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the Central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Journey time is here. We've got everything you need to know about Syracuse heading into the big dance. Tyler Aki, Tim Leonard, and... This is going to be a really interesting one because I think we're a little bit at, at odds here. We usually agree we on a lot, but we're yeah. we're at a little bit at odds. We we'll get to probably agree too much. Yes. So this is good. I'm excited. All right. So before we get into our thoughts, be sure to check us out everywhere online, orangefizz.net, also on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify as well. You'll get all the latest FizzCast, Fizz Radio episodes, and all that great content. I'm going to be out in Salt Lake City. Drew Carter's going to be out in Salt Lake City, so we'll have you covered head to toe there for everything that's going on between the Orange and the Baylor Bears. First time at Utah, right? First time in Mountain Time. Oh, wow. And I'm a big time zone guy, so I'm from I'm from Chicago, so I love Central Time. I think Central Time is the best time. Yeah. But the one thing that may be able to sway me is Mountain Time. I've always wow. been very intrigued by Mountain Time. And now you get to see it. So now real. I get to see it firsthand. Cause Why is Central Time the best? Just like NFL every, games? Everything's an hour earlier. Because I think everything that happens on the East Coast is way too late. Like the Syracuse game. I go on our, on our Twitter, and everyone's bitching and moaning about the fact that this game's it starting at 10 o'clock. That's a that 9 stinks. o'clock tip. And all the ACC tournament games, too. I mean, this is three straight games now where you're looking at least a 9.30 tip or more. And obviously this one's going to be the latest of the three. Right. So what what is a a 9.57, they're saying, tip in Eastern time like is an 8.57, yeah. which in Mountain Time is a 7.57. It's pretty good. So <laughs> I'm telling you, it's it's ideal. It's like I'm living on East Coast time for this game. That's all all the way out in, in Salt Lake City, Utah. So I'm pretty excited for that. Mountain time. Wait, no, it's just Denver that doesn't do daylight savings. No, it's right? Arizona. Arizona. Okay. Arizona. So that doesn't affect Utah. I think there's there's t- three states that don't do it. Yeah. I don't it's know. Arizona. I think portions of Indiana and then uh, Hawaii. I want to say it's Hawaii or Alaska. One of one of the outside the continental U.S. Anyway. Let's get back to all of our thoughts. Let's just start with what what we're thinking about exactly with the overall seeding. So, I like it. When you look at where Syracuse sits, an eight seed going out west with the three ACCs, it was kind of inevitable. I think the only thing that maybe could have bumped Syracuse to a region outside of the West Coast would have been had Tennessee won the SEC tournament. Yeah. Because clearly Michigan State – Winning the Big Ten did nothing. Yeah, since they and are slotted at the two. That, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I think I'm overall Michigan pretty. State 
Okay, they did get that. a little screwed, the fact that they're in Duke's region, although there's right. not a whole lot of danger in that region in my eyes. I mean, I think the East region as a whole is probably the weakest. The region with Duke is the one, Michigan State is the two, LSU three, Virginia Tech four, and so on. But, I mean, Duke's the top overall seed, so based on that math, you would not think Michigan State would be in their same region. However, it's a pretty good draw geographically for them in Louisville, and it, it all sort of evens out. Yeah, it all works out, and, and especially with a big public school like Michigan State, too. That one's in D.C., I believe. Oh, that, D.C. Re- that right, region. Yeah. So you're gonna you're gonna get a lot of Michigan State fans yeah, at absolutely. that game. You're gonna get a ton of Duke fans should they they meet up. But it, I mean, Duke Michigan State just feels like a classic March matchup. Yes, Izzo versus K. Yeah. It feels like that one happens all the time. Um, they did get a tough draw with Louisville in the second round too, grabbing a seven. If Louisville right. does win, I mean, yeah, they've got Minnesota to get by, but. That's a team that... And the Patino showdown. Right. <laughs> that's fun. I'm sure they did that intentionally. But right. But that's, uh, that's a team that already uh, beat Michigan State this year, Louisville, yeah. in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Mm-hmm. So, overall, when you look at Syracuse getting the eight seed, I mean, the eight, nine really doesn't matter at all. No. But the fact that there's three ACCs getting a one seed pretty much solidified the fact that they're going all the way out west to take on Gonzaga. And clearly, Gonzaga losing their conference championship did not play a factor into their seeding as a one seed because they were going to get that West Coast once if they were, even if they won their conference tournament. So right. the fact that they lost to St. Mary's did not make a difference at all. And, and I'm okay with that. I mean, Gonzaga was dominant all season long. And they you played look a at, very tough They played, conference. yeah, uh, an untraditional... Yep. untraditionally tough non-conference schedule. And you're just kind of seeing that with a lot of teams now, especially some of these mid-majors. They're, they're really going out and playing some of them. I mean, just look at the teams that Syracuse played that are in the tournament from the non-conference like schedule. All of them made it. I believe it's like six or seven. Yeah. I mean, you look Saint at... St. Bonaventure lost. So St. Bonaventure five. lost. But you Dominion. had Old Dominion, Northeastern, Iowa, or Ohio State. You got... Uh, um, Let's see who else. Buffalo, Buffalo. They didn't play Iona this year. Yeah. Buffalo is another one of the teams, and then Eastern Washington almost won their conference too. So there was a lot. They played a lot of really good teams out of conference too that are now in the tournament. So just kind of. Oh, Colgate too. Right. Colgate also got in there. Right. Yeah. Um. So, eight seed. I don't have any problems with that. I think that's kind of what we all expected. That maybe you make the the case for the seven and say, oh, they they played a lot of tough non-conference games, kind of like Louisville did. And, and Jim Beheim brought this up when he was talking after the the selection show. It seemed like Louisville may have been a little bit of a qualm with him. Yeah, the fact that they were a seven and Syracuse was an eight. But when you look at it, all things considered. As tough of a non-conference schedule as Syracuse played, Louisville Louisville maybe had the toughest of any team in the country. And I don't think they really played in any preseason tournament. No. I could be wrong there. But when you look at... They, you look at some of their big games throughout the year out of, out of conference. Michigan State and the Big Ten ACC. They win that game where pretty much no one thought they had a chance to win that yeah. game. Kentucky, which is a classic team, right? So just Mm -hmm. throwing them into the fire, and a new coach as well with Chris Mack. Uh, Kentucky, a a classic rivalry there. Indiana, that's a a scheduled non-conference game. They lose that one by one. Uh, Say what you want about Indiana, but at the beginning of the season, they looked all right. Uh, Tennessee, 
another right. non strong non conference team. So I mean, those are all those teams that they played, and and then you throw in the fact of the ACC, they played when you take in the top eight seeds, they played six of them, and they played UNC three times, right? And also beat them once at UNC, crushed them on the road at the Dean Dome, and obviously they went one and two against them. They lost the other two meetings, one in the ACC tournament, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see a qual in there. The case to be made is that, well, Syracuse and Louisville met up once, and Syracuse yes. beat them handedly in the Carrier Dome, but they won by 20. So that's your tiebreaker there, and and I get where Jim Beheim's coming from. We crushed them. When you have that case, but maybe it'd be a little bit stronger if they went on the road and beat Louisville. It's different when it's at home in my eyes, and honestly— Louisville had plenty of other quality wins. UNC on the road, Michigan State, that was one of Syracuse's most quality wins, obviously the Duke win, and then I think it really was Louisville number two for Cuse this year. So it was a 20-point win at home, but it was at home, and Louisville played a tougher non-conference schedule and had a better body of work altogether. And it was it's a a small clump, but I think at the end of the day, it's really not going to matter. And when when I look at it, if if you had to swap Syracuse and Louisville, I think I'd rather face Baylor than Minnesota. And I'd probably, I don't know, Gonzaga or Michigan State's a toss. That that's but, a toss up there, but th- that's a different story. Yeah. You got to win that first game first, or otherwise the second game doesn't matter. Right. Yeah, I mean, we'll get to the Baylor matchup in more detail, but I I do think it it basically is you know half a dozen and one, six and the other. It's not that big of a deal. And like you said, the same thing with getting the eight or the nine. It feels better to get the eight because you feel like you got a little bit more respect from the committee, and they deserved an eight over a nine, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Right, not at all. So let's get to to part two of this little eight-nine debacle. I'm going to say I'm not surprised, but are you surprised that they are not facing Washington? No. I think there's a a pinnacle reason why. I'm not surprised. I'm not. I want to see if we're on the same same page here. Well, one, I honestly thought Washington might fall to a ten seed once they lost right. to Oregon for the second time. And they struggled down the stretch. Week. Yeah, and they got crushed both times when they played Oregon. Maybe the score doesn't show up, but they could not score the basketball against them. And it's honestly kind of weird watching Washington when they get like that because it it is like watching Syracuse mm-hmm. when they get like that offensively. But one, I don't think it really made sense geographically. That's because yeah. That's my big reason why, right. why they're not going to throw Washington in the west there. yeah i mean washington and salt lake city they're obviously still pretty far away but it just makes more sense to displace washington and they already and, played gonzaga this year yeah right that's that's the that's the other mm-hmm. probably bigger reason is that they've already met with gonzaga and that didn't stop the committee from pairing louisville and michigan state and a potential seton hall kentucky matchup in the midwest and a 210 if, if it gets to that but yeah i mean it didn't really strike me as going to happen. It would have been really fun. I was hoping for it. And, you know, it's kind of like the Richard Patino Minnesota Louisville game. If it would have happened, it would have been like, ah, I, I see what the committee did there. Yeah. Or even, um, you know, a lot of people were talking about UCF and Duke with Johnny Dawkins there at UCF yeah. <laughs> now. That makes a lot of sense. Or even the fact that VCU beat Duke a couple yeah, years ago. Yeah, that's true. The Eric Maynard year. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, I, I'm not surprised that it, that it ended up being this way. I, I felt like Syracuse was going to play Utah State for some reason, 
Baylor never. Then Utah really... State goes out and win the Mountain West. Yeah, so that would have been that would have been a tough draw. I, all things considered, I, I think Baylor's one of the weaker nines, maybe the weakest nine. But uh, that doesn't mean it's it's going to be the easiest of games. Yeah, I'll go with Oklahoma as my weakest oh, nine. Yeah, I forgot about Oklahoma. That yeah, they there's <laughs> there there's there's that. reason to believe they should not be in the tournament. Right. Um. So the Big Twelve getting some some questionable bids, but that. That all that aside, all right. So Syracuse and eight, they're taking on Baylor. We know the matchup now. Kind of felt nice being stress free. Yeah, it did it's, feel good. I Beheim know said that too. Beheim said that, and, and Frank Howard said that too. I mean, Frank Howard's been through the ringer every year. Ha, has any player stressed quite like him through four years? Probably not. I mean, it's and all even this three years before it, this. It's not like Syracuse was a shoe in as a, a four seed. I mean, right, an eight yeah. seed, you're, you're not sweating, but it's like. Yeah. I mean, and this year it felt like at times they were more in in dire circumstances than previous years. I mean, not the yeah. year that they didn't make it and they went to the NIT because that year was St. John's and stuff in the non-conference. But this year, mm-hmm. like, they were outside the bubble considerably at points, especially after right. Georgia Tech and things. So it's not like they were just coasting by this year, even though they were coasting on Selection Sunday or were firmly in at that point, which I'm sure felt good for Frank. But every year he's been at Syracuse, he's had to deal with where do you think you are on the bubble at some point or another during the season. And it's the same thing, too, with Tyus Battle. I mean, he, he's been battling through that, that yeah. entire debacle time and time again. He said so, something like, I was still nervous. I was still, yeah. yeah. But, though, I mean, he, he knew they were in. Right. But th- that's beside the point. Now, so w- when you look at the – this matchup i think there's a couple of very intriguing things that stand out and it's the fact that both of these teams play pretty slow yes very so slow. i mean and i think that kind of masks some of their statistics as well mm-hmm. but let's get into it for me i think the biggest thing with syracuse is the fact that frank howard's playing his best stretch of basketball that i've ever seen out of him in his four years here Especially scoring the really ball. I argue that, yeah. Uh, he had the the great games against Duke and Pitt, career high against Duke, with the, with the twenty eight points, and not just that, but Buddy Beheim's shooting the ball really well. This guy, when you think about what his career has been this entire season, he has gotten cheered in more road venues <laughs> than I have ever seen. Yeah, it's right up there. Every it seems like every single Even place, with like the daddy's boy chance. Right, if you want to factor those into the but conversation. He, he is getting buddy chance everywhere. seemingly everywhere he goes. I mean, you were at the ACC tournament. I'm right. sure they were nonstop, especially after yeah. twenty. Yeah, I will 10. say this: the the turnout for that game. That was a a very pro orange crowd in that pick, and I was expecting that for Pitt, mm-hmm. but. There was a good splash of orange there for Duke, and, yeah. and all the UNC fans who stayed from the game before were all cheering for Syracuse, it felt like. Right. So you're getting the, the, the baby blue and the orange all cheering for the same team. And it just – I mean, I haven't seen anyone be so cheered throughout yeah. wherever they go. No, yeah. I, actually, I will say there's you – know, obviously, I'm from, like, that North Carolina area, mm-hmm. ACC country – where you know I've gone to the Wake Forest games in years past. Where granted it's Wake Forest, but Syracuse has sixty percent of the crowd, if not more, 
And there's a good amount of Orange fans in that area. I don't know if it's just they got tired of the weather and <laughs> once they settled in with their families. Cheap real estate. Down, right? I don't know what it's it is. It's a hub. But... It's a it's a beaconing city, Tim. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. So maybe that's it partially as, as to why they had a lot of fans of the ACC tourney. But fact of the matter is wherever they play, like there's going to be a good draw at Salt Lake City. People travel, and there is yeah. obviously a strong contingency every single year with this team regardless. And that goes without saying to people that are listening to this, but it is uh, kind of an advantage when they, you know, obviously Beheim said that the Greensboro comments and stuff, but they will bring fans regardless of where they are, and they'll bring fans to Salt Lake City too. So that'll be interesting, especially to see that breakdown. Obviously, Syracuse, the much bigger basketball brand than Baylor. Yeah. But well, when we dive into the matchup here, you get Tyus Battle back. And I think that's going to do an awesome thing for for your offensive production. That's already playing pretty well. I mean, I don't know about you, but it still feels like O'Shea Brissett's set to pop off at some point. Yeah, I mean, he showed sort of those signs of progressing. It's like he took that first step that he needed to take in order to get to that 20, 25-point game. Um, and, and he popped off in the tournament last year. So we'll see if that kind of clicks him into gear a little bit here. Baylor, not the tallest team ever. We'll get into the rebounding, I'm sure, because that's on top of everyone's mind. I'm sure that's the statistic that mm-hmm. everyone has seen thrown around in regards to this game. And, you know, if you're making a case against why Syracuse is not going to beat Baylor, it starts with that figure and that stat and that category. But they're still not that big of a team size-wise. Right. And you feel like O'Shea could expose that a little bit. So. Well, actually, let's start at rebounding yeah. because that that's the important factor in this entire game. Now, uh, you mentioned not a lot of size. They roll out there with their tallest player pretty much being at six foot eight with Freddie the Gillespie. So yeah. they, they run four guards, and to me, those type of lineups are the ones that Syracuse kind of exploits. When you look at the Orange's schedule, who are the teams that run the four guards? It's teams like. Uh, like uh, like Pitt and and Wake Forest. I mean, when you get into some of these teams that have true big men and they they maybe have two or, or in some cases just one guard. That's yeah. those are the ones that give Syracuse a little bit of trouble. Like a North Carolina, that right. team doesn't have a lot of of true guards. Florida they have State even Florida State has a lot of athletes and not necessarily as many guards. Clemson, same thing there. Duke. Duke, Virginia, certainly a case where they had two really good, uh, two really good big men. Yeah. So those are the teams that give Syracuse trouble, and or that uh, that really cause problems in the matchups, yeah. and, and can get those monster rebounding edges. And when Syracuse isn't rebounding, they're they're a real eyesore to watch at times. But to me, I, I just see the fact that Baylor has they they may have advantages in rebounding. But I want to see it play out against a team like Syracuse who's going to have a monster height advantage and, and really a lot more athleticism on their team as well with guys who can rebound from all sorts of positions like Dolajai, like O'Shea Brissett, who aren't necessarily centers but can rebound like them. Right. I mean, not to beat around the bush or to avoid beating around the bush here, I do think this is a tough matchup for Syracuse. I mean, I think – the rebounding thing is a huge problem. It's it's a huge thing you, that you can't ignore, especially when you factor in what has caused Syracuse to lose games this year. It's either been poor three-point shooting in my eyes, maybe some lousy free-throw shooting at times has been kind of their kryptonite, but 
number one at the top of that list, and it feels like it's that way pretty much every year, is rebounding, and specifically offensive rebounding. And this is a team in Baylor, number two in the country in offensive, offensive rebounding percentage. Now, is that because the Big 12 is just not that deep of a conference, not that big of a conference height-wise, not that good of a rebounding conference? You can make that case. And this is also a Baylor team that comes in, and they're, and they're struggling of late. They lost one of their better players, one of those guards, Clark, and since he's gone down in kind of mid-January, they've become a different team. You look at just their recent trend, obviously they come in as losers of their last four. And if you're a Baylor fan, you're probably saying the same thing when you take first glance at Syracuse. And both these teams have sort of struggled because they're going against tougher schedules. But when you really break it down, I mean, I went and looked at the against the spread for the last 11 games for both teams, which I think is a good indicator because basically – if you're beating the spread, you're beating the expectation yeah. for that game. You're fighting the computers. Right, <laughs> exactly. Baylor, 2-7-2 two, and two in their last 11 games. So two wins, seven losses, two ties in their last 11 against the Vegas spread. Syracuse is 6-5, and five, so they've lost a lot of those games, but obviously we know they've been up in some of those games, and they've actually exceeded expectations. You think of the Duke game recently, that's a game where they exceeded expectations. Right. They covered the spread without Tyus Battle, and they kept it really closer than the final outcome indicated. So both these teams are struggling. Baylor is clearly struggling worse in my eyes in in terms of just looking at the against the spread stuff, but this is still a Baylor team that has some shooters on the wings. They have a lot of athleticism. They have the ability to sort of beat the zone, I think, on offense based on the personnel, and they have the rebounding, which is so scary because at the end of the day, you can game plan for it, but I mean, trust me, Syracuse was game planning for it against North Carolina, too, and they still crushed them on the glass. It's not North Carolina that's playing against them this time around, but Baylor is number two in the country in offensive rebounding. There's not many teams better than that. Obviously, there's just one. So on on paper, I mean, that's a huge glaring weakness that Syracuse is going to have to overcome. We know the stat when they out-rebound teams this year. I think it's now 11-0, 12-0, whatever it is, it's undefeated. If they out-rebound Baylor, they win this game, but... It's going to be really hard to do. But the thing is, is that there are games where Baylor out rebounds teams and doesn't win. Yeah, it's no secret that the Big Twelve had a down year this year. Right. When you look, I don't know how many exactly how many teams they got in, but I mean Kansas State. I guess they kind of exceeded expectations, but you look they at won the conference though. Like right. I'm sure there's a good amount of percentage of listeners right now that are going, wait, Kansas State won the conference. Right. Like that was not expected. Kansas was way below expectations yeah. this year, even though they got to the Big Twelve championship. They, they didn't come close too. to meeting expectations. Yeah. And I mean, Texas just kind of fell off the map at the end right. of the year. Um, you look. I mean. For just for West context, Virginia was West Virginia the biggest surprise or mm-hmm. disappointment of the entire year. They were preseason top twenty-five, and they barely even won any games in conference play. Right. They, they, I mean, they were the laughing stock of the Big Twelve. Just to kind of show you how upside down this conference is, Baylor finished fourth in the regular season. They were projected to finish second to last. Yeah. I mean, TCU outside looking in. That's Oklahoma, a team that went seven and eleven in conference and is somehow in this field. Not just in the field, but there are nine in this tournament. Yeah. It, the, the thing is, 
Baylor and Syracuse are really very similar in terms of when you just look at this year record wise. They, you know, Baylor's 19 and 13, pretty similar to Syracuse. They play at slow pace. Baylor's even played a little bit of zone on defense this year. They don't stick strictly to it like Syracuse, but they will work it in. They've worked it in more in the past since Clark has gone down with injury. And they've really battled an assortment of injuries Baylor has throughout the year. But when you just look at in general what they have, they're a decent shooting team. All the things kind of align, but the big difference is the talent disparity because Syracuse right. was a preseason top 25 team with turned guys everyone. like Tyus Battle, Frank mm-hmm. Howard, experience from going to the tournament last year. Baylor's a team that played in the NIT last year and was not expected to get to the tournament this year, and they battled injuries, but they have exceeded expectations. So you're talking about an overachiever as a nine seed and an underachiever, really, in relation to the preseason rankings as That's an fair. eight seed. But right. At the end of the day, they're pretty similar. And I think the here are the glaring statistics that really stand out to me with this Baylor team. When you think about tournament success, obviously rebounding a big one, they do that pretty well. But what what are some of the other ones that come to mind? Guard play. Guard play. Like and, and a lot of that comes down to how you shoot the ball from three. Yep. And how you shoot the ball at the free throw line. Neither of these teams do either of those very well. Yeah. I mean, Baylor, uh, I got the numbers right here in front of me. The three-point field goal percentage is 209th, all right? Their free throw percentage is 293rd. Yeah. And what's Syracuse? And these are, I mean, I don't have Syracuse right, but it's worse. right it's right around there. Their three-point percent, although Syracuse's three-point percentage has definitely gotten better yeah. and is definitely better when they step outside the dome, you look at all these games that Syracuse plays in on the road or at neutral sites, it seems like every single time they're hitting double-digit threes. Yes. I would say Syracuse is a better three-point shooting team, yes. no question. Baylor, statistically, and Syracuse statistically are pretty similar, but Buddy Beheim's going to be the best shooter out there. And if he's not, it might be Elijah Hughes, number two. I mean, Baylor's got one guy. I can't remember his name. Makai Mason. Well, Mason, of course. But I I know they've got a guy. I think he's more of a role piece that's a 40% three or right around that 39 or 40 right now. But they're not shooting at the bulk that Buddy or Elijah. You know, this is a Syracuse team that's honestly become kind of three-point dependent. It's Mm -hmm. gone from really having no three-point shooting in the past couple years, it feels like, to shooting a lot of their threes right now. 74th in the country in terms of three-pointers attempted, which is about as high as it's gotten in a while, and a lot of that's because of Buddy and Elijah, and, you know, Frank's starting to shoot more threes this year, especially with Tyus out. He was relying on the jumper a little bit more, so the statistics lately have been trending that way, and I do, I will give you that. Syracuse is a much better three-point shooting team, I think, than the statistics indicate, and I also think Baylor might be slightly worse than what their statistics indicate in terms of three-point shooting, especially when you consider Clark is no longer on the team. By the way, the name you're looking for, Devante Bandu. Yes, that's right. Uh, maybe the funnest name out of <laughs> both of these teams' rosters. So, no, I, I definitely think Syracuse is the better three-point shooting team, regardless of, of any of the statistics. And, and when you break down... I mean, what Syracuse needs to do. I mean, that's the thing. They're so good defensively against the three point, against three pointers. I mean, almost half the shots that they see come from three, as opposed to layups, two point jumpers, yeah. and three point jumpers. Nearly half of them are coming from three, and they're shutting them down. 
And I, I find that to be a, the, the greatest indicator of this, where you're going up against a team that doesn't shoot a lot of threes. They're going to need to get the ball inside. How are they going to get the ball inside when they're running with four guards out there? Because that's part of what makes Syracuse so successful is you get these guards out of their element. Not a lot of guys, especially uh, on such short notice. I mean, Baylor's going to have, what, three, four days to prepare for this? Not a lot yeah. of guys are comfortable getting into the to that little high post area, that free throw line area, and then trying to make a play down low to a big. And guess what? Your bigs aren't that big. I mean, the guy that you're going to roll out there as your starting center, quote unquote, is six, six foot eight yeah. in Freddie Gillespie. I will say though, I don't think the whole, you know, the two three zones a curveball. It's great in March. I agree with that theory. I completely mm-hmm. agree. Obviously, but I think it works tonight. better. It works better when it's unexpected. It's, this is expected right. kind of for and That's Baylor. what I'm saying. They have three, four days to prepare. They will practice all this week against the zone, and it honestly works out well for them because their defense is also practicing because they play a zone and will play a good amount of zone this game, I anticipate. And it's easy to say with two defenses that are probably going to throw out a lot of zone, obviously Syracuse is going to throw out only zone, that it's going to come down to who makes more three-point shots and who shoots it better on that given day. And yes, we're saying Syracuse is the better team, but and you're saying Syracuse is the better defensive team against the three right now, and you can't really argue with that statistically, but they've still let one guy get hot way too much this year, and that could be Mason in this game, the Yale mm-hmm. transfer who actually scorched Baylor and beat them right. when they were a 12-seed Yale was, and then he transferred to Baylor. And he's their leading scorer. He's one of their better shooters. I can see him at the top of the key making a couple threes, kind of like a London Parentes mm-hmm. or whatever, insert any guy that has given Syracuse fits in the past couple years. And if he gets hot, it's going to come down to get up on him, close out his airspace, because they yeah. can't allow that to happen again if one dude gets hot. I mean, they don't have, was it Brady Gillespie? What was that guy's name for Baylor that was dropping threes one uh one sweet 16 or Brady Heslip. Heslip, yes. What did I say? Uh, Gillespie. Yeah. Uh, close enough. Yeah, whatever. Heslip, who was dropping the three signs everywhere. They don't have that guy this year, but they have mm-hmm. Mason, and they've got a couple other guys. So it could just be that Baylor gets hot from three in this game, and that propels them to the win. And with that in mind, if they do start making threes, don't be afraid to move the zone up. And I think Jim will tell them that, and he'll even throw his jacket if it's not <laughs> happening. But – They've just got to key in on that. The, the way I see it is it could be very well like a pit matchup where you've got one guy who has perennially torched you with Jared Wilson frame, yeah, and he's going to go off and get his in the first half, but what's going to happen in the second half? Syracuse shut him down in the second half. Mm-hmm. And we've seen them really – I mean, Jim Beheim is not going to get a ton of credit for this, but he should. In the ACC tournament, his halftime adjustments were unbelievable. Yeah. When you look at well, what happened in the coaching at half, <laughs> right? What he said against Pitt. Uh, so at Pitt, I mean, he 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 goes out and, and he says, "All right, we're going to close out on Jared Wilson frame." That that's exactly what but they my did. My thing is, and then against Duke with Zion, I mean, say what you want about the game Zion Williamson had. Second half, he wasn't nearly as yeah, effective. That's true. He had eight points that's after true. having twenty-one in the first. My thing is though. He still Wilson Frame still got to six threes before right. they stopped him. And that's the problem. But that when you might look have been at against Pitt, not against teams in the tournament like a Baylor. Right, but here's the thing about the supporting cast there. I liken Baylor's supporting cast more to Pitt's than to Virginia's. And Virginia you let one guy get hot. Kyle guy, he goes, what, eight for ten from three. Mm-hmm. But 
even if Kyle Guy wasn't hot, Virginia still probably wins that game because well, they, they still have Ty Jerome, really? DeAndre Hunter, yeah. and all those other pieces. Baylor doesn't have anyone close to that. Yeah. The rest of their roster, I mean, remember, there's a reason why they were projected to be ninth out of a 10-team conference. It's because you don't necessarily have the guys around. And, and to me, that's why I'm, I'm really pro-Syracuse in this matchup because I, I think that the halftime adjustments, Jim Beheim is going to win the hell out of that matchup against Scott Drew. Yeah. And the, okay, so I, I hear you. I mean, this is still like a balanced Baylor team, though. They've still got guys. That right. I mean, the rebounding the rebounding is going to be the big thing. The rebounding is going to be big. Also, I'm watching Mario Kegler, the Baylor forward, because he could be that zone buster. He could be the Theo Pinson, Nigel Hayes, DeAndre Hunter, whoever mm-hmm. you want to compare him to. This is someone who's not the star of the team. That's Mason, like we said. He's averaging 10.7 points per game, six rebounds, but he's 6'7", and he has a mid-range jump shot, and he's got some vision. He's athletic. So if you put him in that high post, you know, what we like to call the ACC logo when it's in the Carrier Dome, and he's 10, 12 feet away, he hasn't really been that effective from downtown this year, and actually his three-point numbers have dipped compared to when he was at Mississippi State. He transferred, sat out a year, so two years ago at Mississippi State, he shot 34% from beyond the arc. He dips this year to 28%, right around 29, and he's actually shot a little bit more this year. So his numbers and his shot has gone down. It's been inconsistent throughout the year, but you're not asking him to make threes at the ACC right. logo. You're asking him to make a 12 to 15 foot jump shot, or at least distribute and dribble, penetrate, do what you need to do to make plays happen. And you talk about, yes, they don't have the size, which is important to beat the zone, but in some cases, just having good guards that can penetrate is just as effective against the zone. So it's going to be interesting to watch. I think Kegler is almost like the X factor in this game because he could be that zone buster that you put in the high post, and he doesn't actually start every game. It'll be interesting if Scott Drew comes out of the gate and starts him and says, hey, I mean, that might be a sign to Jim Beheim that this is a guy that we're using more than normal in this game. Mm-hmm. And he had 16 points in the last game against Iowa State. So he's someone to key in on. Obviously, you know, that zone buster guy has hurt them in the past. Rebounding's hurt them in the past. And those are two things that could hurt them again in this game. It really is a toss-up. It's an 8-9 game. Yeah. The reason why— It I'm, feels like the 8-9 games are usually blowouts. Yeah. But, but <laughs> I don't th- they're seeding— and and it is it is going to be interesting just from the get go what Syracuse team comes out to play because we know it's been very inconsistent throughout the year and even inconsistent half to half in games of course so you know it's it's two teams that are similar they're going to play at slow pace they're going to probably both work in zones they're not going to try and rely on the three too much and that's another thing for Syracuse don't rely on the three if you're seeing that zone and I think Elijah Hughes Frank Howard. A couple guys, for example, they love to shoot the jump shot, and sometimes, you know, you're barking at the TV saying, you know, don't forget to drive every once in a while because those are guys that mm-hmm. could penetrate and get by the zone, and that by, might be more effective in this case going against a zone, which it's weird, but it feels like when Syracuse goes against zones, ironically enough, it seems like they don't play as well on offense for whatever reason. To me, too, I mean, I think age also kind of plays a factor in this one. Yeah. I mean— Baylor doesn't have a lot of experience. You've got Makai Mason as a senior, King McClure as a senior. Makai Mason played in the tournament, but not with Baylor. He played in the tournament with Yale against yeah. Baylor. He was successful. And, and he was. So, 
how is that going to factor into what you want to do when you when you look at this team and you've got this unique challenge on the other side defensively? Again, I, I think this is a team in Baylor that can move the ball against the zone. I mean, you look at their assists per game. Sure, it's 140th in the country, but when you factor in the fact that they play at the 288th slowest yeah, pace true. in the country – it shows that you can pass the ball a little bit better than 140th might say. But in tandem with that, how you also don't shoot the three ball well. And that's going to have to probably be something that you do well against Syracuse. Because if you shoot the ball, if if Baylor is making shots from distance in both halves, then they will win this game. Right. I just don't see a world where that's, where that's the case. Another thing Syracuse has on their side here, kind of going off, this is it's a good passing team, but it's also a team that turns the ball over a lot in Baylor. Thirteen point three turnovers per game against That's, a Syracuse team that forces. Yeah, they're right. Up I think there. they're top twenty five in the country right. in forcing turnovers. Last I saw, I think they were twenty seventh in the country forcing turnovers. I think it's fifteen point six per game. So mm-hmm. that's an advantage right there. I don't necessarily know if if Jim's going to go to the press because. He usually doesn't against the four-guard teams. Yeah, he usually doesn't against guard-heavy teams. And this is what's so weird with this team because Baylor's guard-heavy, you would think that would mean they take care of the ball and they don't rebound well. But it's the complete opposite. They actually turn it over pretty frequently, probably because of their youth and lack of experience. And also, they rebound well. So it's it's a weird scenario. It's a weird case study to go against. And I don't think he'll go to the press unless they get down in this game, kind of mm-hmm. like... Virginia, and that's obviously worked in the past. So I guess it's good to know that if they do get down and they go to the press, it might lead to more turnovers than normal because Baylor is prone to turnovers or more prone than other teams. But I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of things on Syracuse's side. There's probably more things if you did a Venn diagram on Syracuse's side than Baylor's side. Obviously, we haven't even mentioned the clear obvious reason is they're just more talented. They have Mm -hmm. more tournament pedigree. They have Jim Beheim. Baylor's gone pretty far in the tournament with Scott Drew, but they've never gone to the Final Four or anything. They don't have, you know, a team coming in with more confidence, more experience, and and a team that has gone to March Madness runs with this core, Frank Howard, Tyus Battle, guys like that. And that's obviously the reason why I'd say – I don't know, 70% of people filling out office pools are just going to pick Syracuse, casual college the basketball name. fans. The name, the right. tournament pedigree. They know Bayheim, they know the zone, they know they've been successful. That's all on Syracuse's side. They have more pros than they have cons, but the con is rebounding, and that's such a big con that it concerns me almost to the point that I think Baylor will win this game. But remember, I mean, th- I think this was what, the, the two- or three-year anniversary of this the other day was the Torian Prince the rebound. Uh, yes. <laughs> we went up, and they got – you grab it with two hands, it's called a rebound. Right. They got more of those. That's a legend. Remember, that, that's, a, that's a Baylor team. So we'll, we'll see how it fares in the tournament. My final verdict in all of this, though, is – I mean, both of these teams record-wise are closing out the season cold. Baylor loses their last yes. four, first-round exit in, in the Big 12 tournament, even though they did exceed expectations. But they closed out cold, albeit against some of the better competition in the Big 12 – but Syracuse record-wise closed out cold, but I think performance-wise did not close out cold. Yes. I think performance-wise, even though what they, they lost seven of their last 11 heading into the tournament, Syracuse was not playing like a team that was 4-7 and no. seven down the stretch. They were right. playing like a team that was 8-3, and 7-4 and four down and the two stretch. Two games without battle, of course. Two games without battle. 
but you just happen to run into top five team after top five team. Yeah. And, and you had a road test against Clemson. Right. I mean, both these teams are kind of limping a little bit. I, I would obviously say Baylor is more than Syracuse, and Baylor has battled injuries, but there's also the whole Baylor's kind of the underdog in this game, and they've exceeded mm-hmm. expectations to get to this point, and they're sort of playing with house money. So that factors into, I think, Syracuse makes more. I mean, they're the favorite in this game for a reason. They have more talent, like we're saying, but it still worries me because I feel like on one hand, Baylor is sort of the perfect puzzle piece to stop this Jim Beheim two-three zone because they have the rebounding on their side. All right. Any last thoughts on Baylor? You think they're going to win? I do think they're going to win. Sad. I, I just I don't know. It's something telling me Baylor because of the rebounding and also because Syracuse has had these runs and it just feels like they're kind of due for a, a March Madness loss. If that makes a little any bit of a sense. collapse. Yeah. And I and I think the whole logic of two-three zone as a curveball doesn't necessarily apply to the first round. It's weird because I think if they get by Baylor. They have a very good shot of beating Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. Not not saying yeah. that I'd pick them, but like I think that curveball two three zone aspect right. plays more of a factor against Gonzaga. But I don't think it really matters that much against a Baylor team that's kind of playing with house money and has the rebounding thing, and they've got some good guards that could get hot from three. So you're rolling with the Bears. If I had you can to pick, you can I'd send send your pitchforks and flames <laughs> at Tim underscore Leonard four. Bring it on. So. I'm I laid gonna, out my case. Uh, yeah, you did. And, and I've laid out mine. I think Syracuse, in the end, the, they are one of those teams that they catch fire at the, at the right time, and it seems like you're looking for that. Syracuse has not had a game this year where all four of their big pieces have all clicked. If they do that once in this tournament, there's no question. It doesn't matter who's on the other side of the floor. That's going to happen. Yeah. Like Syracuse is going to win that game. There's also the case that they've had a lot of games this year where the offense has just looked really power bad. outage or or stretches. but I don't think that that's so. nece- I mean you look recently against Clemson and that was the case but I just don't think that has necessarily been the case on the road or away from home and I think this team started to retool First and figure things out a little bit but but no the battle. second half was no battle and yeah. the second half was an explosion the second half was great and the second half against Duke was honestly one of their best offensive halves of the season so like you said, they might be down record-wise heading in, but I actually think they're playing some of their best basketball this season. All right. So, I think ba- I think Syracuse wins this game. You think Baylor wins this game. I want to talk a little bit about Gonzaga. We have to. And since you think Baylor's going to win, you have to leave the room. And because <laughs> this because this game this game doesn't happen in, in your <laughs> eyes, but no, I'll, I'll let you stay. Okay. Um, I so, talk about yeah, I, I think we, we've got some good thoughts here uh, with Gonzaga. When you look at this matchup, everything screams Gonzaga should absolutely dominate. One of the best rebounding teams, one of the most high-powered offenses. Um, all of that screams a, a Bulldogs blowout. It was a lot of the same things that people were saying when it got to the Sweet 16 point a couple years right. ago. And they mm-hmm. played Gonzaga because they had, was it Zach Collins on that team? Yep, Collins um, was on that team. He was a, a first-round pick. right. There's another um, uh, really a, good big man, and they were like the two. It, it was the basically. the really big guy, yes. the huge the guy, the really big, guy. the real. But, yeah. but like, <laughs> no, you, know, you know who saying. I'm talking about, and, and people are remembering too, as we're saying. Yeah. I'm sure, but that was the whole thing. Like Syracuse could not rebound for the life of them that year. It was so bad. It was Tyler Roberson, 
Daywan Coleman and his shoddy knees, and and no one else really could rebound the basketball, and that was their kryptonite all year, and it, it just made Karnowski. So much sense. Thank Prisma you. Karnowski. There you go. Me. So mm-hmm. there we go. Yes. Yeah, so that guy and, and Collins, it was everyone was saying, all right, this run's gone on too long. They're a ten seed that many people thought shouldn't even have gotten in the tournament. But remember. I think Gonzaga was an 11 seed that year too. Right, that's true. But people still thought Gonzaga was right. Um, was the better team? Was going to end it right there, mm-hmm. and all logic pointed to that, and all logic would say that in the second round this year. And of course, it's different when it's one versus eight. If it were to be that way, if Syracuse wins, but it is still kind of the same thing. Like for whatever reason, they couldn't rebound that day. So maybe Syracuse just sort of has the upper hand on Gonzaga or Bayheim has the upper hand on Mark Few or whatever you want to call it. So the greatest indicator that we've used a number of times this year is how did Washington play against this team? Yes. And luckily right. enough for us, Washington did play Gonzaga earlier yeah, this really year in a game in Spokane. Mm-hmm. So a road game technically for for Washington, and they lost on essentially a buzzer beater. Rui Hachimura hit, hits a, a jumper with .6 left, and I went back and, and watched the game specifically to see how Washington's defense stacked up against the Gonzaga offense. How they game plan. And I gotta say, if <laughs> if Mark View game plans the way against Syracuse that he did against Washington. Gonzaga is not going to win this game (laughs) because I went back and watched, and I sent you screenshots too while I was watching this game. It was laughable. And Gonzaga basically trots out there with a a four out and a a post up with either Brandon Clark or Rui Hachimura down low. And they just kept trying to feed or kept trying to dribble through a zone. And if you know anything about a zone, you can't dribble through a zone. It doesn't work. So if that's the game plan, then – Yes, I think Syracuse absolutely has a really good chance to not just beat Gonzaga, but maybe win it by seven to ten points too. Right. I I don't think Mark Few or I think Mark Few will probably learn from his mistakes by then because he'll go back and look and see that the times that the offense did work against Washington was when they had these plays where Rui Hachimura sets a screen and then and then drops right into that free throw line area well, or area. or he takes a, a small little time. L cut and yeah. and bumps up right to that free throw line area and he he's right there and Syracuse doesn't drop back on, on him to try to swat that away because he can hit that jumper, he can high low pass that to Brandon Clark. Yeah. I mean, Gonzaga presents every single nightmare in the book, but if you don't know how to how to beat the zone, then you're not going to beat the zone. So do you think and this is obviously something that's just kind of hard to I mean, we can only speculate on what the answer is to this, but if you're Gonzaga this week and you're Mark Few, are you having your defense play a little bit of zone and trying to eliminate that? So here, obviously they're going to get. I mean, they have a 16. Right, and that, that and that's the thing that I'm thinking about it too. Yeah, you don't want to overlook the 16 seed, but Gonzaga knows they're playing in the next round. Yes, I they mean know you, they're you're, playing. you can game plan a lot more for Syracuse and Baylor than Syracuse and Baylor can game plan for you. Right, but they obviously don't know if they're going to play Syracuse, and it's. You know, it's not – you can't just roll out Baylor, of course. It's an 8-9 mm-hmm. matchup. It's basically a toss-up. Even but, after last year, I mean, 16 seeds are not going to win this year. Right. But Baylor also plays some zone. It's different. Mm-hmm. It's not all the time. However, if I'm Mark Few, I mean, at least, you know, I'm not a head coach or anything. But if it was my team, 
I probably having my defense right. play a little bit of zone mm-hmm. this week because, because that natural talent that. alone, natural talent alone. I know Baylor's playing or uh, Gonzaga's playing the winner of a play-in game. Yes, but regardless of that fact, I mean. They're not going to lose that game, game if they play right. too much zone. You're, you're, they're going to lose that game because they fell flat. Your game, your your skill can easily trump whatever yes. 16 seed is thrown in your way. Yeah, it's March Madness. You don't want to overlook teams. However, I think you can do it in a way where you're like, all right, let's just play a little bit of zone here on defense. I just, you know, I want to see how we react to that in case a team throws that out. And, you know, it's not overlooking the team. You can do it a little bit. Not all of it, and you're not going strictly away from man-to-man. However, I do think, if I'm Mark Few, you're doing that this week to eliminate sort of the curveballness of, of the 2-3 zone if it comes to it, because Baylor or Syracuse is probably going to throw some zone at Gonzaga. Yeah, there's definitely preparation for that. Um, but, I mean, Gonzaga's got a ton of playmakers. Zach Norvell can catch fire at any time. Uh, Josh Perkins is a, is a great yeah, passer it's as not well. Your so Gonzaga team. right. I it's mean, I I'm usually in the camp that Gonzaga never has a chance to win the national championship. Yeah. Even the years that they went, um, that they went a couple years ago when they played UNC, I was very anti Gonzaga. I was very anti Gonzaga last year. I've been anti Bulldogs pretty much every year of my life. This is the first year I've really bought in. And it's because they. They played a non-conference schedule without Tilly for most of it. Mm-hmm. One of their better players, probably behind Rui Hachimura. It's tough to say because they've, yeah, they've got so many players. Clark, I mean, Brandon Clark. Yeah. yeah. But regardless, one of their better players, Tilly, was out. And they played a tough non-conference where they beat Duke. They played Tennessee. Tight. I mean, just going to Maui in general, you right. know you're you getting great competition. Right. And, you know, they lost to UNC. But they lost on the road to UNC, and they played them. That's not what Gonzaga right. used You went to across do. the country. Washington, even, is, yeah. is a slightly tougher than normal non-conference opponent. It's a tournament team that's obviously a nine seed this year. So there are a lot of teams and a lot of differences based on their non-conference schedule between the Gonzagas of the past and the Gonzaga this year. All right. Any last thoughts before we sign off? Um, I, I feel like everyone just hates me now that I went on the record picking <laughs> Baylor. <laughs> I will say this: Baylor's got the best names out of any. It's a fun team. Out of any team, I mean, you just King McClure, Devonte Bandu, Makai Mason, Freddie, something. How about uh, how about Flo Thamba? Not Mo Bamba, Flo Thamba. Does he play? <laughs> he no, he doesn't. What's the uh, really one that's play. Like well, Matthew he kind of plays. So Matthew name? Mayer, <laughs> Matthew Mayer, who ironically is the son of John, but not that John Mayer. <laughs> So there's a lot of fun, fun little parallels with this Baylor team. But Syracuse, if they want to face first, too, yeah, if they, if they want to face Gonzaga, they're they're gonna have to to get past a, a solid Baylor team. But I, I think they they have no problems with that. Um, you want to just talk about the the West region in general? Yeah. Overall, just, what do you think? You think this was a good draw for Syracuse? Like I think, yes, Baylor has the rebounding stuff. I mean, but to me, they're not that good. Right? To me, with with Baylor is. You got what you deserved. Yes. And I'm talking from Syracuse's perspective. This was a team that coming into the year we thought would win, would be maybe a four or five, or if they were really, really good, a three seed. You drop all the way down to eight, playing Baylor in the first round, you kind of get what you deserve. I'll say this. They're not the best of the, the nines, but they're probably also not the worst. In picking Baylor, I'm almost saying I think Syracuse is going to have a letdown. 
But if they were so, playing against Utah State, there's a possibility that it's just two teams play pretty well and Utah State's slightly better. Mm-hmm. That's that's where it is kind of a good draw for Syracuse, and it is one of the weaker nine seeds. Utah State obviously is an eight seed, but even like Washington, you could make the case, and obviously that's just Spider-Man meme when they're going against <laughs> each other. However, you can make the case that it's just Syracuse had a good game, but they fell a little bit short. I don't really see a world against this Baylor team unless they just go crazy from beyond the arc or something, which is ha- which has happened in the past, and at that point it's also a product of Syracuse playing bad defense in my eyes. So I don't really see a world where Syracuse plays well and does not advance. With that being said, so you're saying Syracuse is the better team. They're the better. But you team, think they're gonna they're let they'll let down a little bit. But I think the rebounding thing is very concerning. And I, if Baylor was going against other teams, they would be heavy underdogs as a nine seat. However, Baylor lucked out in the sense that even though they don't have a ton of size, they're a good rebounding team. That's what they're known for. Syracuse is a bad rebounding team. That is what they're known for. So I think. That sort of dynamic in this game changes things a lot. And I don't know, I also just have this weird feeling that Syracuse sort of has a letdown this year after a couple March Madness runs in a row. That's fair. So looking at the West region at a whole, Mm -hmm. I find this to be by far the most fascinating region. Yeah. And I also think it's the best region in terms of skill. the most the most yeah the skill obviously but it's the biggest unknown where whoever comes out of this region I'll be like mm, yeah kind of makes sense like can't say I didn't see that coming right I, I think mean the you look four through even eight if you want to go to Syracuse is about as strong as any other region because it felt like state. it felt like a lot of these outside regions look really weak when you get to that four through eight kind of banner. Yeah. I mean, the East looks like an absolute joke of a team. Mm-hmm. Like, the the team list You've is absolutely pass, right. I mean, LSU's your three. They're playing with turmoil. Virginia Tech is, I mean, Virginia Tech right now. I mean, who knows what's going on there. Um, they are no, getting Je- Justin Tech Robinson back, strong. but yeah. Mississippi State did not impress me once this year. I mean, week five. They're week five. Maryland, I think, is a decently strong six. I think they could make some noise and even get to the Elite Eight or Sweet 16. Um, Louisville also can make some noise there as a seven. But outside of that, I mean, Michigan State is really going to be the first test, it seems like, for Duke. Well, yeah. when everything's said and done. Um, Virginia Tech's a test if it comes to that. Right. But it might not even come to that. And, and remember, Duke nearly beat them without Zion. Yeah. <laughs> now, now you could sure. say they didn't have Justin Robinson, but who who's going to make the bigger impact, especially when this game's played in Blacksburg? Um, you, you move to the South region. Uh, I mean, Virginia, Tennessee, that's that's cool. I mean, one of those teams seems like a shoe-in to go to the Final Four. Yeah, it's two teams that are trying to get over the hump there right? and take that next step as a program. I know Oregon's a trendy pick as a 12, but at the end of the day, what conference did they win? They won the Pac-12. <laughs> yeah. And they didn't even win it. I mean, they were like <laughs> the 60s. Yeah, they, they fell yeah. backwards into They're into the Pac-12 now. tournament. And, and, yeah, they've been a trendy pick. And obviously, uh, I heard, I heard that, that uh, beat zones right. Washington I, and Cuse. I've heard that Oregon is actually Vegas' biggest liability this year. I think Oregon is almost – they opened as favorites. They the, opened as the favorites, yeah. In matchup, and then – but the, it's kind of like Loyola last mm-hmm. year, which worked out for people that were on Loyola, of course, and and they made that crazy run with Sister Jean and everything. But 
All right, Sister Jean did not make a single basket in that round. I'm with you on that. I'm just (laughs) reminding people of Sister Jean and Loyola. I think Oregon is your your trendy 12, but to get back to the West They're a Power 5 team. Yeah. Well, kind of. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if we can even call it that. Um, Maybe if Gonzaga gets into the Pac-12 one day, we can start calling it a Power 5 conference again or a Power 6, whatever. But Marquette. Murray State in the West region, Syracuse yeah, region, five twelve. One of the more intriguing matchups, obviously. I mean, Florida round. State. I mean, the four thirteen there. Florida State. They almost yeah. won the ACC. They they yes. were up on Duke pretty handily in that first half before crumbling. Very handily. But but it shows you the power of Florida State, and even you saw it last year before the game was over. Uh, <laughs> yeah. the, nice Leonard Hamilton the, there. They before that happened. They had a chance to go to the Final Four then as a, what were they, an eight or a nine seed. Yeah. And then Vermont's a a really cool team this year. Anthony Lamb, probably the most underappreciated player in the country. Mm -hmm. And then you move down the line, Buffalo. We don't have to tell Syracuse (laughs) fans about them. Yeah, and you don't have to tell Arizona fans about them either. I mean, they're a team that can make some noise. St. John's, if they somehow figure it out, who knows? Because they've got the talent to be a good team this year. Yeah, they they've been in the top twenty five. State they, even has been in the top twenty. Yeah, mm-hmm. they game. took down uh, Kansas when they were number one in the country. Texas Tech. I mean, people are saying Jared Culver is going to be a top three pick all of a sudden. I mean, they were one of the better defensive teams, and Northern Kentucky's a team that can. Is make. Arizona State? That's kind of a sidebar, but every year are they just going to be top twenty five preseason, get a big win, start out hot in the non con, and then just fade into a play in game? It's called the Pac twelve. Yeah. We've been over <laughs> That's this. Um, I guess I'm just being a dead horse. Right. At this point. Nevada. I mean, that's no no easy. I mean, this is a team that people thought could win the national championship, and they slip all the way down to a seven. Well, how about how about this? Buffalo? And then you've got Michigan, who just seems to always catch right. fire in March. So that's what I was about to say. Buffalo is your six. Actually, let's go up to Florida State as your four. Mm-hmm. Going down the list here. Florida State, four. Buffalo, six. This is just in terms of the highest seed. Texas Tech, three. Nevada, seven. Michigan, two. What do all those teams have in common? They all went on a run in March last year and exceeded expectations. Michigan went all the way to the title game, of course. Nevada went to the Sweet 16. Texas Tech Elite 8. Buffalo was Sweet 16, right? They No, they lost to okay. Kentucky in the second round. But they still exceeded no, no. expectations. Did they? Yeah, they lost yeah. to Kentucky. That's yeah. right, yes. But still exceeded expectations for a 13, and they're bringing all of those guys back. Florida State obviously exceeded expectations, Elite 8. So these are all teams that went deep last year and are bringing a majority of those players back. Michigan, not so much, but still a decent amount. Right. So... The West is the biggest wild card of region, and that's because I think there's so much talent, and the gap between you can include Syracuse, right? In the list I mean, teams that went deep last there, there, you got a bunch of knuckleball teams. I mean, yeah. Marquette, Murray State, whichever team comes out of that, could very well get to the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight because they've right. got the firepower within them. So it's going to be interesting. That West region, I think, is going to be the one that a lot of people have the red X's next to on their brackets because it's got, A, I think the most, the highest chance of we see a Mm 1-2 in the Elite Eight, but it's also got the highest chance where we see uh, two double-digit seed teams in the Elite Eight. So beauty of Mark. Yeah. It's going to be a crazy one. I'm looking forward to it. I know you're looking forward yes, to it, but the I think the West is by far the strongest region and could be the craziest region, too. Yeah, and I think that's fun that Syracuse is in that region. Mm-hmm. It might even bode well for them. We'll see. I would say of all the 1-8, 1-9 matchups, 
I mean, people are going to be picking Syracuse over Gonzaga more than any other 1-8. I don't think UNC over a Washington. No one's picking Duke. anyone over Duke. No. I mean, the 8-9 the out in the south is just not Maybe that great. UVA, people. But it's going to be more picking against UVA than picking yes. Ole Miss or Oklahoma. Syracuse is obviously the biggest brand in the 8-9. I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult, <laughs> really. Because it's you- a current compliment, uh, a yeah. Or a current insult, a previous compliment. Yes. A historical <laughs> compliment. Yeah. Um, but given that, I don't know what that means. Is it good that everyone's probably going to be picking them as the upset? Or not everyone, but out of the 1-8 matchups, that's going to be the most likely? Or is that bad? I mean, last year everyone kind of had Loyola and they went far. In years past, it feels like no one was on a George Mason or whoever, and those teams seem to come out of the pack. But we don't know anything. I mean, that's the beauty of March Madness. Right. We, we can sit here and speculate once the the ball gets jumped in the air things are going to be different and things are going to shock us and things are going to wow us and Syracuse could be one of those teams again because they are trending up I'm just for whatever reason scared of that first round matchup with Baylor I just think it's a bad matchup right I mean you win that first one it feels like you're you're playing with with house money from there so all right anything else you want to hit on no I'm excited I'm, I'm all good. You're I, I all got pumped. in my Baylor take. I got in my uh, <laughs> my opinion. Uh, hopefully people heard me out, listened to my side, even yeah. though it was against Syracuse. The skeptical Syracuse fan is very, very much with you. All right. <laughs> That's going to do it for us here on the FizzCast. For Tim Leonard, I'm Tyler Aki. We, I will be out in Salt Lake City. Drew Carter will be out in Salt Lake City. So be sure to follow all of our coverage all tournament long. Hopefully a long run for the Orange so we can extend that stay in Salt Lake City. And, and if it doesn't, all the way to Anaheim. And if it doesn't, then maybe you'll 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 see some hiking pictures from me or something like that <laughs> along the way. But follow us everywhere, orangefizz.net. Uh, also on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify. We'll have you covered all tournament long. And if Syracuse does move on, we'll, we'll get on to a little bit of a Gonzaga podcast. Probably won't be as long as this one, but we'll, we'll have all of our thoughts boiled up in that one. All right, talk soon.